Welcome to Joshua Space, a podcast where I talk about all things books. On this episode, I interview Jeremy Saul. He's the author of the Common Trilogy, the first book of which is entitled Stormblood and available wherever you read your books from. The second book is not yet out in the United States, however, it is out in the United Kingdom, Australia, and everywhere else. In the United States, the audio version is available, however, the print version will not be available until October 29th. If you enjoy this podcast, I kindly ask that you think about subscribing and leaving a review if you're able to. I also wanted to mention that if you're interested in purchasing any of the books from the authors that I interview, I do have a link that you can click. Go to my profile on bookshop.org and I will have the complete list from all of the authors that I feature on my podcast. Now let's go ahead and listen in to the interview with Jeremy Saul. Hello everyone and uh, thank you so much for having me, Joshua. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I'm glad you're able to join. So you wrote a book that came out during the very beginning of pandemic in, I believe it was June of 2020 called Stormblood. Do you want to tell us what that book is all about? Yeah, um, Stormblood is uh, the first book in the common series. It's about the DNA of an extinct alien race that gets used as a drug that makes people get high on adrenaline and aggression. And it's about two estranged brothers on both sides of a drug war where the main character has to hunt down uh, the person killing his former squad mates and his brother is the prime suspect. And that kind of sounds like a little bit of a murder mystery, but it's not. It is at its core, a space opera, character driven space opera uh, slash military sci-fi that all takes place on an asteroid city and has lots of wild stuff going down. I think it's great. My mom thinks it's great. So <laughs> I think it's great as well. Well, of, of course you do, Joshua. Of course. <laughs> I, I mean, I couldn't tell you that it's horrible. That wouldn't be good. So no. <laughs> I pay you too much for that, mate. Exactly. So, and I have to say, I'm about a third or half of the way through Blind Space, which is book two, and it is absolutely fantastic, if not even better than Stormblood. Um, so as of right now, I can confidently say it does not suffer from middle book syndrome like many books do. Yeah, that was quite very, very deliberate. I think like I made certain to when I was outlining it, that this isn't just filler and build up to the third book. Like it has its own narrative arcs that it continues where we left off, that there are still consequences and that I'm not just biding time to get to the really good stuff. No, the good stuff is coming. I just need to find a way to condense it all and to spread it out so it doesn't all clutter up and doesn't all just, it's just, you know, cancel, it all cancels each other out because there's just so much happening. But with book two, I've made sure to make sure it was exciting and uh, stood alone as an entry. And I think it, uh, and I think it succeeds in that part. I'm not biased at all. Not at all. No, no. One of the questions I had for you was, I know Blind Space is book two, Stormblood's book one, um, and book three comes out soon. Is it a trilogy or will it be a longer series? Uh, I'm contracted with three books. The third book, Wolfskin, comes out uh, next year. I'm writing it as if it is the last entry in this story arc. It is definitely going to wrap up this story arc. It is probably not going to be the last book I ever write in this world because I love it too much. Okay. But I think that when I do finish book three, I'm going to be done for a while. Like I've told the story, I've wrapped up the events that have taken place. I've answered yeah. most of the questions, like 95 to 99% of questions that have come up in within the trilogy. And then I'm done for a little while, at least probably not always for the rest of the world, but yeah, for now, I, I think that I, I've just had enough of playing around this world and I need to do something new. So no fear, this will not be a 10 book series 
or anything like that. Like, yeah, you are getting a, a contained story, but I do like narratives where the characters or some of the characters live on to fight another day. So that's all I'm going to say for now. Okay. Well, I am excited to get my hands and read book three. So you mentioned that as of right now, once book three comes out, you're done with the world. You might come back to it later. Do you have another story or something else in mind for future? Or is that something that as of right now, you're just focusing on Wolfskin? I'm just focusing on Wolfskin. Absolutely. I do have a few ideas uh, percolating in the back of my skull, but I'm not sharing them and I am not okay. committing to them at any time soon because I just have to focus on this one. I can't let myself get spread, spread myself too thin and uh, spend my resources too thin. Otherwise I won't get anything done. And if I do, it'll be rubbish. <laughs> and I am not planning for this book to be rubbish. So all my attention is going into Wolfskin at the moment. Okay. Well, I am excited to hear about the other books that you have thoughts for in the future so even if you can't share them just yet you can tell me once we're done with the podcast that's totally fine um (laughs) um, so with writing stormblood when did you first come up with the the idea and what part of the book did you first come up with um i think at some point i came up with i was just thinking about space opera stories and that sort of thing and i've always loved aliens and i was thinking okay what if human beings altered our, uh, we altered our bodies with alien DNA. And I thought, okay, what's the most interesting thing that could possibly happen if we did such a thing? Like what's the most interesting consequence? And of course I wanted to tell something exciting and something interesting. And it's not just cosmetic, you know, there's something that actually radically changes the entire human body structure, like changes human society from the ground up uh, on every level. And so I wanted to go I kind of hold the philosophy that Brandon Sanderson talks about with magic is go deeper, not wider. So I wanted to have one good idea that, and it changed human society on every level. So it was, what if humans became uh, addicted to alien DNA? And what if it made them addicted to adrenaline and aggression? How would that change everything about society? What would it change? What would a war look like? What would empires look like? What would street life look like? Uh, What would you know galactic communities look like and so that's what i thought of first and then i was thought okay who's the best person to tell this story and not soon after the idea of two brothers estranged brothers torn apart by war torn apart by abusive uh childhood an abusive childhood and uh what if their stories came to life and how would the alien dna affect them and so i just thought yeah the main character has alien dna in him in him the little brother does not because his body is immune. And I just went from there. And I think the story kind of told itself in a lot of ways. Like I knew the broad strokes of the narrative with Stormblood, uh, but I think, but like the, uh, the, the nuances and the personalities, those came through as I was writing and uh, surprised me in a lot of ways. And yeah, the story just told itself in some ways, not to say that writing was easy, but I do think that it was more, organic and more natural than anything else I've written before. And I think that's because I started with a really good baseline idea. Like I knew where I was going and I just let things go from there in a controlled tight fashion. So with that, would you consider yourself more of a planner or a pantser? That's a good question. I think with a, uh, with a lot of writers, I think it's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, with book one, I definitely planned uh not too much like i guess i said i knew the broad strokes yeah so i knew that the main character would have x happen to him he would walk into 
Y situation and Z would be the outcome. But I didn't know sometimes what would happen afterwards, what the consequences of that would be. And I didn't know what would happen, how he would, if he was trying to get to point C, I really wouldn't know the points A and B from there. Um, and so I think I'm definitely a bit of a hybrid. And I think that as I've become a better or more skilled writer, well, or, or as one hopes, yeah, uh, I think I've eased up on that a bit. And I think I've really gone, learned to trust my gut. Mm-hmm. So with book two, um, there was one massive battle sequence on a moon in in blind space about a third of the way through you probably would have read it by now mm-hmm. that was very 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 much deliberately planned 100 percent. Oh. that was planned the consequences of it were planned but the next major set piece wasn't at all it wasn't in the first draft okay i just thought of it uh when i was going through the editing process and then the, the next one wasn't either it was completely different from the way it and from the way it, it appears in the book and the way that i was thinking about it um yeah, and so I think I just le- uh, I've learned to trust my gut. And if the book is demanding to be written a certain way, if the characters are saying to me, whispering in my ear, saying, "No, I want to be written this way," or "I want to do this thing," or "I want to go in this direction," then it behooves me to listen to them, especially if there's a really interesting relationship that I can get out of it, or I can discover something really interesting about them, or discover a neat little plot point or a side chunk of world building. And I think that being able to deviate from your plan is one of the, the, it's a very healthy thing for a writer to do, especially if you are always trying to keep your narrative interesting and explosive and, and, and on edge for me, staying rigidly in line with a pre-planned schedule I, or itinerary isn't really the best way to go about it. So I do allow myself to stretch my legs and experiment a little bit. And if it doesn't go right, I can always delete it but I cannot change what I don't have. Yeah, and there's tons of little relationships, especially in book two, that I never really didn't plan. There are these two characters that ended up in a room and I'd be like, okay, let's see what comes of it. And they have a really, discovered a really interesting relationship dynamic or I discovered something really interesting about them. And I never would have planned it. So I always try to make sure I have a little room for creativity. That's good. The happy accidents, as I like to call them. So you never know what's going to happen. happy accidents. So when you first started with it, because you had the idea that you wanted a space opera, you had this idea of the alien um, biotechnology and the DNA. When you first got that idea from that point and you first started writing to the final product, it's been edited, it's done. How long did that take you? That's an interesting question. Uh, I think I've had the idea about early 2016, but I started writing it in November slash late uh, early December 2016 and it was published less than four years later three and a half years later which is by all accounts pretty fast I think I had a first I had a first draft within six months okay it was a lot shorter than the one that it it appears now and had to go back and do some editing and add some new material and it probably took about another six months before it went out on submission but then once it did it took another six months before it got picked up and another year and a half before it actually became published. So it was, that's three and a half years, doesn't sound too long, but it did, it did feel like it. Uh, but so it was a little bit of a long process. Uh, book two, I think, uh, was much, much faster. I think I started writing it. Actually, no, it wasn't that much faster either. It was 2018, I think, when I was starting, started to outline it. And it was about 2000, uh, 20, 2021 when it came out. So three years. So not that much difference either. 
But, you know, it's, it, I mean, writing a book is a massive undertaking and getting it published and going, getting edited, going through your copy editor, going through your proof stage, going through your structural edits, going through your multiple drafts, it does take time. And I think that I'm always a little bit skeptical when I hear that someone is just like, you know, knocked out a book within a few weeks or like within a few months, like gone from like inception to publication. Uh, so I, I think that sometimes good stuff takes time, at least for me. And uh, yeah, so, but it, it did take quite a while before it became published. And keep in mind, I had to get an agent and a publisher in that three and a half years. So yeah. How was it trying to get an agent? Was it fairly easy and quick or did it, was it a, cause I know it can be a very difficult and long process. Oh God, no, it was not easy. Getting an agent is not an easy thing. Definitely not for me at least. And not for anyone else that I know. Uh, I wrote about three books total uh, before Stormblood and wrote and queried them. The third book uh, I wrote and I queried about 30 agents before I got picked up by John Gerald uh, in the UK as an, and he offered me representation, but then the book did not sell the publishers. And so I wrote, had to write another one. And so I'd already written Stormblood, written and finished Stormblood by the time I got John as an agent. And so then when the other book didn't go anywhere, that Stormblood went on submission. But no, getting an agent is probably the single hardest thing that I have done. It's far worse than actually having a book on submission when you're uh, when you have an agent and it's going around to publishers. Like publishers are the final frontier. Like they're the basically one of them says yes, boom, you're published. But and it sounds like that's even more of a big deal. But honestly, for me and for everyone else, I know getting an agent is like chewing concrete. It's just mind-numbingly, eye-wrenchingly difficult. And it feels so hopeless because like these agents, some of them, they get 50, like my, in the case of my agent, he gets 50 queries a week. He takes on three clients a year and 50 queries a week is light. It is, you know, it is nothing compared to what some of the other big US New York agents get. So yeah, it is not fun. So it does speak to any the guts of anyone who kept, does get an agent. I think that they've at least they're if nothing else they're persistent. So you said your your agent he only picks up three new people or three new authors a year. Yes. Wow. Fifty queries a, a week is two thousand six hundred queries a year. So basically, out of two thousand six hundred people, he's choosing one. That's literally one point one five percent chance, or not even. That's 0.115% chance. That's not even, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, That that's not, it's not an easy pick. <laughs> With the three books that you wrote before Stormblood, do you feel like because you wrote those, it helped you progress as a writer, as an author? Yeah, I definitely say so. I mean, it's all, you're all, it's all building muscle. It's all building up your stamina for doing something else. And I don't think anything is truly wasted. I mean, you can spend a year writing a book and even if you, get to the end and you decide that's not my thing anymore that's not the story I want to tell then that's fine because you understand that sometimes you need to write all of it you need to get through that process before you can take a step back and see the tree from the forest and yeah I think that some of the books I wrote before are a little bit more impersonal a little bit more uh distant a little bit more procedural whereas Stormblood is very much a character driven book like it's on first person it's very voice driven it's all about the character it's all about his emotional state it's all about the emotional stakes it's all about what the relationships that's between the main character and his brother and between the other people that he has in his lives and as he goes through the motions of trying to you know save his brother and trying to take down these these bad people let's just call them 
you know, what what does he lose? What does he gain uh, when he's with the other people? I mean, you know, he's got this drug in him. Like he's an addict to alien DNA. He always will be. He always will have this aggression in him. And he's because of his childhood and because of things that were done to him, he's constantly full of rage and hatred and anger. And, and he's always on edge and he's got this morally gray bent to him. I think in the way that he deals with people that get in his way. And I think that being able to take those risks uh, made me a much better writer and being able to not have the person, your character always do the right thing or to always make the clear cut decision. Yes, I'm going to do this because this is the right thing to do. And, you know, because I feel this way. And so I'm going to follow this footpath. I think I want to write something that's a little bit more explosive, explosive and a bit more risky and a bit more in your face and, and on edge. And uh, yeah. And so I think that's why Stormblood succeeded the way it did. At least I hope so. Yeah. So with, I mean, obviously because you wrote those novels, you did learn and you, uh, like how to develop characters better, how to be able to tell, like you were saying, the story of someone who's perpetually flawed and has a lot of issues, uh, both past and present that they have to deal with would you ever consider going back to one of those other books and trying to restructure it a little bit to still get out in the world? Or do you think that was kind of just, it was just there as a stepping stone to get you to where you are. And that was a learning curve. And that's the past kind of a thing. That's just going to stay in the drawer. Do I want to ever bring them out into the world? Hell no. <laughs> like they were, they were great as step, like in all seriousness, they were great as stepping stones. And I'm, yeah not unhappy that I wrote them and they were probably necessary for the process, but no, they're not me anymore. They're not me. And I have no interest in assigning my name to them. I, they're not part of my brand. Yeah. Um, as I said, I'm glad I wrote them. They taught me a lot about the writing process. And I think it's important for anyone who wants to write a book. Like they actually need to write a book. You can't just talk. You can't just talk the talk. You need to walk the walk. Yeah. And so I'm glad that I went through that gauntlet, but that's behind me now and I'm done and I'm definitely much more comfortable in this much more edgy, brutal, morally gray uh, space opera world uh, with much more visceral and flawed characters. I think I'm a lot more interested in that, those sorts of stories. Yeah. And so I'm, yeah. those other books are staying in a drawer under lock and key. <laughs> I totally understand. So what kind of books do you typically read if you don't like do you typically read space opera science fiction military science fiction or do you kind of read a little bit of everything um because i know some people they tend to read what they write but then other people read or write things that they don't read at all so yeah i do a bit of both um i wouldn't say i read everything like i don't read urban fantasy i don't read ya i don't read middle grade um but i do read try and read widely like i've read the books that I'll give you an example of the sort of things I read. I've read, I really, really love Lauren Bucus. Um, she's a crime slash horror writer. Uh, you know, she recently, she uh, one of her books, The Shining Girls was turned into a TV show with Elizabeth Moss. Uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic book. Uh, I've read The Thrawn books by Timothy Zahn. Uh, I read Jabba Crombie. I read George R. R. Martin. Uh, I am a huge unabashed fan of Red Rising series by P.S. Brown. Like the Red Rising series has influenced my books in countless ways that I can't even begin to, you know, encompass. Like I owe Pierce Brown quite a few drinks if I ever, if I ever meet him, because I, I honestly doubt that my books would exist if it wasn't for him. And if it wasn't seeing Darrow 
and getting into his thought process and how he maneuvers throughout such a vicious and violent world and how he holds true to his emotional core. Like that is intrinsically part of Vakov and uh, part of my books as well. Uh, yeah, read epic fantasy, uh, read space opera, military sci-fi. Yeah, I read all kinds of things. I just finished Mickey Seven by Edward Ashton. I'm currently reading The True Bastards by Jonathan French. Uh, I really do like them because they're a bunch of uh, basically fantasy books where all the main characters, basically, it's basically Sons of Anarchy, but all the all the bikers are half orcs at, in this very Western-esque world uh, with desperados and sheriffs and that sort of thing. And I'm always, I always like characters who are a bit on the edge, a bit of an anti-hero streak to them, a bit, uh, you know, outlaws and outriders that sort of thing and so yeah i'm enjoying that quite a bit what else am i reading um yeah it's it's that sort of stuff that i really really enjoy getting my teeth into next up on my list is hyperion by dan simmons because i've never read it much to my shame and i mean to change that very quickly um yeah i read all over the shop uh as i said i don't really read into certain genres but i do tend to stick with epic fantasy and science fiction and epic sci-fi for me it's less about the genre and more about the voice like if i can if the voice is grabbing me and i feel like yeah this is i can totally get into this world i can really get into this story i can really feel what it's like to be in this character standing in his shoes in this landscape and feeling what he's feeling i don't care what the genre is like if i'm there i'm there so and that's the most important thing to me voice and I think that that's the same with quite a few people as well. Like, it's just, you know it when you see it, if you're, if you get hooked. Yeah, I completely agree. It's more about the writing style and the way the author portrays characters and just different things in the story. That's what's really going to, for me, that's what's going to draw me more so than the genre. I tend to read all over the place. <laughs> um, I think science fiction has always been and is my go-to genre. Um, recently I've really gotten into historical fiction and kind of just a little bit of everything. Um, science fiction is definitely my bread and butter when it comes to books I like to read. Yes, yeah, same here, same. Like I, yeah, like sci-fi is my first love and it always will be. Um, yeah, I just, I think that I kind of wrote the books that I wrote because I wanted to read more sci-fi like it. Because I think that some sci-fi, like, you know, I'm generalizing here, but especially older stuff can be very dry and a bit dry and a bit pompous and a bit predictable and a bit, you know, a bit heavy handed and sciencey, like, you know, the older classical, quote unquote, classical books. And, you know, you can read crime books like, you know, Elmore Leonard and uh, other authors like that. And, you know, where it's explosive and in your face and, you know, and electric and you get such a rush from finishing it. And I'm like, why are people not doing this in science fiction? You know, I want more of, you know, Richard Morgan, like Altered Carbon. I want more of Pierce Brown's in your face action scenes and relentless emotion and, you know, completely cutthroat stakes you know that's the sort of science fiction that i'm uh, i'm always hungering for so you know i got up one day and i said i'm just going to write it myself yeah if you don't see it out there you might as well do it yourself so and i i definitely think that like i didn't really make the connection until you just said that as far as i would high i would definitely say if someone likes red rising stormblood is a perfect book because it has that same kind of dark nitty-gritty like very intense action packed that that feeling it has this very similar vibe to it if that makes sense uh okay i know this is difficult if you had to choose three just three you could do less if you want but 
um, I always give people at least three because I know one's very difficult. Your top three books that you've ever read in your entire life. God, man, that is hard. Um, yeah. Can I do series or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We can do series. Red Rising series. Definitely. Okay. Uh, Song of Ice and Fire. Okay. Definitely in the, in there. As the three books, the first three books. Like it's, I do have some qualms about some of the later entries, but I still remember the, where I was when I was reading A Storm of Swords and I came across the Red Wedding scene. I still remember the day that I was reading it and I remember thinking, no, this cannot be happening. I cannot be reading this. I was shocked. I was hit in a way that I've never been before when reading a book. And that experience has never left me. Um, what else? And probably the first law trilogy or the first law series by Joe Abercrombie, because again, it re- it had a huge impact on me in, in so much as what epic storytelling can do, that it doesn't need to be grandiose and sweeping and majestic. It also can be very nitty gritty and in your face and visceral and gutsy and sometimes a little bit unpleasant, but in a fun way. And you can have a morbid streak of dark humor th- running through it. And that's, and that's very much my thing. And so, yeah, I, I, if I had to, if you forced me, as you are, Joshua, <laughs> to pick out these three books, it would definitely be the Red Rising series, the Song of Ice and Fire, and the First Law series. Okay. I think, to be completely honest, I've only read the Red Rising series. I have not read the other two series you mentioned. So I'm... Oh, to, wow. I know. Wow. I know. <laughs> I'm going to have to make sure to add those. I think um, I do have the Joe Abercrombie um but i do own them i just have not yet had the chance to read them so going back to your books a little bit is there a favorite character that you wrote about like did you enjoy writing about a specific character more than the rest well i love writing about Vakov. like he's obviously the main character and so that's why he is the protagonist because i enjoy him the most and i've spent the most time with him because i'm in it's in first person so i'm in his head predominantly a lot of the time um, yeah, and another uh, other character I enjoy writing the most is probably Grim, the Vakov's companion and hacker friend. Uh, yeah, he's quite a emotionally interesting character because he's also very fun and energetic and wants to do all these wild things that Vakov disapproves of or Vakov finds irritating. But he's also quite emotionally deep and has his own trauma that he's dealing with, and so. But, and because Vakov fought a the main character, fought a war against this empire and that Grimm comes from this empire. So he's essentially the enemy in a little weird way. I mean, we can think of tons of real life analogs to that. Uh, and so he, they, but they're still best friends, but that does sometimes rise to the surface. You know, these, all these feelings of uh, prejudice and self um, and self-hatred and, and uh, internalizing prejudice comes in and sometimes cracks sends cracks through their relationship. And I think that's always a very interesting thing to write about. Uh, but of course, we, if there's also these lots of uh, scenes where they are all hanging out and getting up to mischief and screwing with people around the asteroid, that's always fun. And uh, of course, there's also a very favorite character of mine is Juvens, the big alien space marshal, the guy with horns. I had such a good reception to him when his, he appeared in like, two chapters in book one and because of I had such a good reception to him I had so many people writing in saying that they loved him so I thought okay I've got to int- introduce him more in uh, future books and so in book two he is a 
uh, one of the main characters in book two, and he has an even bigger role in book three. Yeah, and so you've got this alien race that is very regal and authentic and very grand and grandiose and full of these aliens that think they're better than everyone because they're an advanced civilization. And then you've got Juvens, who is blunt and aggressive and has horns and wears armor and has no qualms about telling everyone, even the high-ranking political people, exactly what he thinks of their nonsense and exactly what he thinks of those stupid ideas and how he's going to go off get a get a laser cannon and deal with the uh, the bastards himself and it was quite it's quite fun to write about him especially when uh they encounter some cultists and in these in these books the main cultists uh prejudice against aliens or other alien species and so juvens finds that immensely amusing uh there's one scene in book two where he's discovers that the cultists uh forbid any in their ranks to pick up alien technology or alien weapons because it's considered quote-unquote a, a lesser weapon developed by lesser people and if you are low ranking enough and you pick it up they can actually chop off the offending hand so his idea is let's leave let's leave tons of our weapons around uh around just to you know tempt the greedy ones so they all up end up dismembering and mutilating their own side just for the hell of it one of the other aliens is not amused by this idea at all uh but yeah, he's he's quite a fun character to write, and uh, I enjoy writing him, and I enjoy getting of the most outrageous things I can possibly think of to, for him to say, and uh, yeah, and so that that's a character that I enjoy writing quite a bit, and ironic, and unsurprisingly, that's what a lot of uh, readers seem to like as well. So, must have done something right. I could totally see how you'd have a lot of fun writing those characters, especially writing the morally gray characters, because that's one of the things in the science fiction genre we don't see as much of, whereas in the fantasy genre, morally gray characters is becoming more and more commonplace, but in sci-fi, it's still far and few between. I think that's why I enjoyed The Mandalorian so much. I mean, Star Wars isn't exactly a, uh, a headliner for moral ambiguity, because you literally have the Force, which is objective good and evil so the star wars isn't exactly grimdark by any stretch but i did enjoy the mandalorian because it said okay we're going to take these jedi who have this objective view of good and evil put them completely aside and we're going to focus on this gunslinger character who isn't a first isn't afraid to shoot first doesn't care about what your opinion is if he wants your mandalorian armor you give him your mandalorian armor and you know he he has but he also has no qualms about marching right back into the stormtroopers base and rescuing baby Yoda. He also has no qualms about shooting the uh, shooting someone in the face if they uh, don't if he doesn't like what they're saying. And so I I was drawn I'm drawn to characters a lot more like that a lot more complex a lot more unpredictable and a lot more human. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons, like for me, that I was drawn to Stormblood because it's not very often when you find a morally gray main character, and that's something that I've been trying to explore a little bit more in science fiction because I think it's fun to see how how and where the authors will take that character and to kind of what extent they will push that bound of he's still a hero, but he's still very much morally gray. He's not perfect by any means whatsoever but he's still the good guy. Yeah, and in, in Stormblood, Vakov knows that he's not. Yeah, he knows that he, and he-, he embraces he, it. Yeah, he does embrace it. He, he says like, this is who I am. I'm flawed, I'm broken. I'm gonna try and hold on to who I am. I've got my morals. I'm gonna stand by my brothers. I'm going to 
do right by them. I'm going to do right by the people I care about. But if you get in my way, you're going to get end up on the wrong side of a bullet and I'm not going to apologize. I don't want to do it, but I will. And, and, you know, that especially becomes highlighted in book two and more so in book three. And that's actually one of the challenges of writing book three. Cause I'm thinking, how far can I push this? What can I make Vakov do and yet have him retain his humanity, make and still have him be the, the not the hero, but the, the, the anti-hero that we empathize with, that we want to see succeed and yet still have him do all these things. So that's kind of the challenge. And I'm always trying to stretch myself in what I'm writing and I'm always trying to improve my craft and write better characters. And so, yeah, I'm finding it a quite a fun challenge and uh, the, a, lot of, uh, a lot of broken bones along the way. Yeah. And it's fun to see where, because I'm still reading book two, but it's fun to see where, how you're progressing his character still. And there is some character development. So I'm excited not only to see the rest of book two, but book three, which I believe you said it comes out next year. Yeah, it comes out next year. And yeah, the, there's definitely going to be a lot of character development the no character is going to be the same uh, from when they started the series and when they finished. You know, character development is the most important thing in any book, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, yeah, you, in book two, you definitely do see his character evolve and change and adapt to the situations. And in book three, you see it happen even more so. And I haven't finished writing it yet. It's the first draft. So I don't know where 100% it's going to land and where it's going to end uh, in terms of his character. But I can promise you that it will be legendary. Well, I am excited to see how it ends. And unfortunately, I mean, I never, I hate, I hate when a book series ends. So it's like, I'm excited, but it's a bittersweet excitement because yeah. I'm excited to see how the character develops, how everything is resolved, what's going to happen to all of these characters that I've come to love. But at the same time, I feel like you have to say goodbye to the friends that you've grown with. You've grown with these characters and then you kind of, you're done. Yeah. And so it's a bittersweet when it comes to an end. And I think from your perspective too, it's got to be a bittersweet to know that you finished, you finished the trilogy you set out to write and you're done. Yeah. I'm, it's going to be sad saying goodbye to these characters and it's going to be sad knowing that I'm never going to have to write them again, or perhaps, you know, I don't know what's going to happen down the line with whatever book deals I get or how well the series does. Uh, I will say that, um, you know, book series, whether they continue to be series and continue to be more, have more series of them does depend heavily on sales. Uh, you know, hint, yeah. hint, that's all I'm going to say, but um, yeah, like, but you know, in all seriousness, yeah, it is going to be a bittersweet uh, feeling to wrap up this final chapters and say goodbye to them after taking them on such a long journey. I mean, I've been writing in Vakov's head. I've been in his head for six years and I'm 27. So that's, you know, more, almost a fourth of my life. I've, spent in this man's head and in his world and in his shoes and i'm not done yet so yeah it is going to be one hell of a thing to put him uh put him away and say you're done go on and live your best life it's kind of like raising a child and then watching them leave home in a weird way i mean i haven't finished it yet so i don't know how it's going to feel but i also know or hope that i have enough sense to walk away when it's done i mean in this age of self-publishing and all that I could do whatever I continue writing 10 more books but I don't want to write 10 more books you know I need to I've got nothing more to say and I've told the main character story and 
that and that's it i'm not going to drag it out any longer than it needs to be and wear down the quality because there's no point and and i think that kind of goes back to the very beginning of this podcast of this episode where you mentioned how in the future you're will you would be interested or willing to explore more stories that happen in this world not necessarily with these same characters but just in in this world in general but it's not necessarily you're planning to if it happens it happens and i think that's a good way to look at writing because you don't want to force it if you force it 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 sometimes can feel forced but if you have this okay i'm going to write this trilogy and then see what happens and then you never know you might get something that just strikes inspiration on a completely different topic or it brings you back yeah i I do have an i as i said i do have a few ideas a few inklings of what i'm going to do afterwards uh i'm not sharing any details to anyone not even my editor or agent because i need to have written it i need to write it and not be tainted with any other ideals or any other influences and then i'll submit it and then see what people think it's the same with book three like no one has seen a word of book three, not my agent or my editor. Uh, I'm just writing it and then I'm going to hand it in and then the work begins. But uh, yeah, I'm keeping it all under lock and key for now. Awesome. Well, I know book one is out everywhere. And then book two, um, Blind Space is out in Australia, UK, I believe Europe as well. And then in the United States, the physical copy gets released later this year um october october and it's also available in canada as well but physically it's available in canada both books yeah good to know and then um book two is available in the united states as an ebook and audiobook though just not the physical book Mm -hmm. and then book is there a tentative release date for book three or not quite yet uh august slash september 2023 okay but i'm not sure that that's hold holding true anymore Okay. But no, but like it's because it's not done yet. Yeah. But so I can't say, but it is being written. It's two thirds of the way done, the first draft. So I'm not going to pull a certain, what certain other authors have done, which is, you know, release date is maybe next year, maybe 10 years. I don't know. We'll see. No, it's, <laughs> it's definitely coming out. I have a deadline. The deadline is this year. The work is being done. Words are being written. Scenes and getting nailed down. Have no fear. <laughs> Well, that is good to know because I do not want to have to wait 10 years for the next installment. Oh, have no fear of that that's not happening. Like it's definitely, you'll be definitely getting it in your hands within like a year, a year to two years time. Have no fear. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this episode and being interviewed. Um, it was a pleasure to speak with you and to talk more about Stormblood and Blind Space and the trilogy that you've brought into this world. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me, Joshua. And I'm thrilled to hear that you've enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you can. And don't forget, this podcast does come out every other week, so check back in two weeks for an interview with J.S. Dewis, who is the author of the Divide series. The first book of that is The Last Watch.